Hello, and welcome to the Mind Your Leadership podcast. I'm Karen Suk, and today I will speak with Ira Wolf. Ira is a millennial trapped in a baby boomer body, a president of Poise for Future Company, founder of Success Performance Solutions, a TEDx speaker, top global thought leader of the future of work and HR, and the order of recruiting in the age of globalization. Today we will speak about adaptive leadership and adopting a new ability of unlearning. So stay with us. Ira, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for joining. Hey, thanks so much. It's a great opportunity, and I really appreciate it. I understand you define yourself a millennial trapped in a baby boomer's body. Yeah. That's an interesting definition. So I'll be happy to hear a little bit about uh, your background and what does it mean? You know, yeah, that's that caught with, I kind of adopted that a few years ago. I, I walked into a meeting and the host uh, welcomed me by saying, oh, we thought you'd be much younger. Your voice sounds so young on the phone. You're, and, you know, I, I don't remember if my topic was talking about the multiple generations, but, you know, oftentimes, you know, baby boomers certainly defined by chronology. Most people would define it by birth dates, chronology. So if you were born between 1946 and 1964, you're a baby boomer. And therefore, somewhere on midnight of New Year's Eve, in 1965, everybody, anybody born after that became a Gen X and they were completely different than baby boomers. And if you're born after 1980, you were a millennial. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but the reality is, is there are people like myself who still, uh, you know, are, you know, want to grow, aspiring. You know, people continually ask me as an older baby boomer, you know, when you're going to retire, when you're going to stop working. And you know, frankly, probably, I won't say never, but, uh, you know, I don't have a timestamp, but it's, it's not that I felt that. So my mindset is definitely more of a millennial or somebody younger, you know, looking at things, um, you know, what can I learn? What can I grow? You know, frankly, I, I view my business as a startup business every day, and I've been in business for 26 years. And it's not because I'm, I'm failing. It's because I'm, it needs to evolve. It needs to change. So the millennial part, uh, you know, the, the, the generation labels are both chronology mm-hmm. and they are mindset. That's interesting. So I understand that you work with the future of work. So you you wrote a book and it's interesting to think, you know, today is the coronavirus transformation, but it looks like it's going to stay. Today is the corona, tomorrow it will be something different. So what do you think we need as humans to handle this challenging times and the uncertainty we are living in? What do you think the most crucial traits for us as humans, as you said, to evolve and continue to flourish? Right. Well, one is we have, again, it, it, it's certainly on a mindset. We, we need to change the way we look at the future. And change has always been difficult. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, the only change, you know, we've, we've heard most of people, most of the listeners have probably heard, you know, change is the only, un, is the only thing certain in life. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's not new. I mean, that's not something that, that just came up now. The first trace of that came from Hercules. You know, and I don't remember the BC century, but it was in BC. So, you know, thousands of centuries ago. 
or hundreds of, you know, dozens of centuries ago anyway. So it, it happened a long time ago. People have always been uncomfortable with change. And there was, there was an interesting conversation just recently on, uh, I think it was on LinkedIn uh, that I got involved in. And, and people were talking about gaining control and, and we want to gain control. A friend of mine talks about that human beings are addicted to certainty, that we want to know exactly what happens. Yet we're going to be living in this age of perpetual uncertainty. You know, we're going to be living in this world of unknown unknowns. And certainly, you know, last year we had a pandemic and, you know, but just within the last few months, during that period of time, within 12 months, is we've had uh, social unrest. Uh, we had the, a huge disruptive election that still mm-hmm. continues to go on. But you look around the, the, the world uh, just uh, recently, you know, you, you had a country taking down a commercial airliner. We've had a hack of our gas pipelines. And again, I'm talking about mostly U.S., but some some international. Uh, you certainly Europe, you know, in Europe, uh, you had the, um, you know, Brexit and, and that's not over. That's still evolving what that looks like. There's going to be reg- local, regional, and global disruptions. Mm-hmm. And in the past, they happened, but they didn't happen with the same frequency. I won't say the same intensity because we had world wars, we had nuclear bombs, we had depressions, we had major events, catastrophic catastrophic events, but they seemed to be, because we lived in a less global world, they were more regionally impacted us. But now what impacts one country can impact every country, especially with supply change and, and supplies or a pandemic, you know, we're, the, everybody pretty much agrees that the, the pandemic COVID started in, in China, but we don't know if it was, you know, was it deliberate? Was it accidental? Was it natural evolution that created this? We don't know, but we know where it started, but it's spread worldwide. So, you know, local event, a local catastrophe, a local attack, a local disruption in a pipeline or in a, in a supply chain can impact the rest of the world. But the thing that people continue to miss when we talk about change, it's mm-hmm. not only that we, we can isolate these changes but the changes are happening more frequently. So we've had pandemics and they were tragic and they were global, but now we seem to have a different tragedy, not necessarily every hundred years, but every every few years or every few months. Uh, Climate change, another one. Last year, you know, they never used to run out. They'd get halfway through the alphabet for a hurricane in the United States. Now they run out of, of letters and they're trying to figure out how to, um, they're going into different names and, and digits and they're trying to figure out how to rename them because they, they, 26 used to be, 26 letters was enough. Now it's not. So again, things are just happening more frequently. We can argue if they're more intense or not, but the frequency makes them feel more intense. There, there's an interesting study about change, and it talked about living on this exponential curve. And and certainly in 2020, I'm not sure most people, if you mentioned exponential, most people didn't really understand what it meant. You know, you can talk about doubling, but even if you talk about doubling, it doesn't seem to have that same impact. 2020 was certainly people start to understand exponential, mm-hmm. especially when they watch the growth of the number of hospitalizations and the number of deaths and the number of infections. It, it just was increasing like crazy. Now that people understand that, 
if you look at how change is happening on that same type of a curve, mm-hmm. I believe this came from Ray Kurzweil from Google and Singularity University, but he's, his calculations are that for a 40-year-old today, by the time they're 60, so about 20 years from now, the rate of change will increase four times. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean? That's sort of abstract. Okay, things will just happen faster. But that also means that when change, what change used to take when they were 40, 12 months, it will now have the same impact in three months. So squeeze 2020, not from December, January to December, but squeeze all that change we experienced into one quarter, one season. Mm-hmm. And if you're 10 years old, by the time you're 60, the rate of change is going to be 16 times. So that one year will be squeezed into 11 days. So we had a year to adapt to 2020. And some people adapted really well, took a a little bit, but then they got, they hit their stride. Other people are still coping. And there's many people that are really struggling. They're trying to figure out what's next and the impact still hasn't hit them. But think about that happening in three months or 11 days. And that's the curve we're on. So we, we need to get people, people need to become more comfortable with uncertainty. I, I want to say controlling uncertainty, but we need to become in control of ourselves to make those changes. It's uh, interesting what you say, because reflecting on what you said, I think I heard that, first of all, in the coronavirus transformation and all the transformations we are going through, we also saw that we are interconnected, right? And like the butterfly effect, it starts in one country and affects the other country, and we don't have actually control of it. And the last thing that you said, it's the control issue that I think it's a crucial element as humans, because I really believe that we as humans looking for control. It's a paradoxical, right? Because we don't really have a control, but we want to feel in control. So I think it's interesting to put a spot on this and talk about what does it mean being in control? What does it mean letting go of control? Can we let go of control? I know that you're working with the leaders. How how do you help them loosen their control? Because I don't think we let it go fully, but maybe we can have a process toward letting go. That's exactly right. And, And as you were, and listening to you, even hearing my words back, Maybe it's becoming comfortable mm-hmm. with, you know, if we can become more comfortable more and, and feel safer. When I, I talk a lot about adaptability, but I spent the last number of years uh, talking about change. I've talked about change all my life, but uh, we talked about change. Uh, my TED Talk five years ago was on change. It was on VUCA, you know, which talks about volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And, you know, since that time, it was like, how do, how do we help people become more comfortable? How do we take change from a negative to a positive? How do we see opportunity within the chaos? And it's challenging because there's so many moving parts. You know, when we talk about how do we get control of our future, it really takes courage to be able to do that. We, t- we talk about, when I talk about the adapt, proving adaptability, it's not just having more adaptability. It's not getting a higher score on an adaptability quotient uh, assessment that we provide, but it's how does that help people build the courage to try something, to make a mistake, to evolve, to have a new experience. And if we have the courage, then we build 
the, the more times we do it, the more confidence we have that we can do it. But ultimately, it's about hope. Because if, we're, if we have the courage to take that first step, and then have the courage to take a second step. And then now it starts to become part of our routine and we're starting to gain that stride. All of a sudden, we're not looking who's behind me, who's chasing me, what's gonna happen next. But we see the we see a little bit of a light, we see a future. We believe that no matter what anybody throws at us or whatever the environment throws at us, we can deal with it, we can move forward. So adaptability is, is really about hope. So going back to, does that give us control? It gives us a control over our emotions. If we know how to take that first step, or if we have the courage to take that first step, if we learn to manage the risk associated with that, and we get more confidence and the world seems more hopeful, then change isn't so bad. This is what it is. So it's really interesting because at the end of the day, actually, I think nowadays we need to learn to manage our internal world, right? And to have control over our internal world doesn't mean not to feel. It means being connected to our feelings, but deciding what to do with it instead of being managed by our fear, by our uh, stressful situations. So I think the control is stopping to try to control the reality and others and the situation, but controlling our own reaction in our own uh, way of acting in a situation. So this is a crucial element nowadays, right? The mindfulness to be able to be connected to ourselves and to control and to manage our own internal world in order to achieve the goals that we want. And I like the technique that you gave. It's starting small, doing the baby steps, not trying to have it all, but starting to walk, right? And then you can figure it out along the way. Right. And, you know, I know we have, a, you know, a lot of business people, leaders, managers probably looking at this and it's and one is it needs to start with them. I mean, leaders need to be more comfortable with this. And we've for for 50, 60 years, well, actually, probably 100 years going back to Frederick Taylor's models of scientific management has been how do we control every step of an employee? How do we actually? Yeah. And we talk, you know, now people fear humans become being replaced by robots. Mm -hmm. But in a sense, what Frederick Taylor and Henry Ford and Sloan all did, you know, certainly these management gurus of the industrial age, they turned people into robots. It's yeah. let's create a bureaucracy. Let's systematize everything. Let's have a process. Let's have Six Sigma. Let's have zero lean manufacturing. Let's have zero defects. Let's squeeze out any inability for a human being to make a mistake. And while that worked for a time, it killed innovation. It crushed innovation because you couldn't make a mistake. You couldn't think as a human being. You couldn't be creative because that didn't fit with into the bureaucracy. And then all the rewards and compensation got rewarded for people who, who had a better bureaucracy. <laughs> and that's starting to bite us. I mean, that certainly did, you know, certainly when you talk about supply chain and disruptions and, and, and dealing with that, and you look at the number of companies that had really well-oiled machines, but then failed. And all of a sudden is that somebody, a, a new competitor came out, a new innovation came out and uh, completely disrupted them and they were caught off guard and they couldn't change because it was so structured. There was no ability you know, to make that change. Um, so part of it is, is we got, you know, as leaders, it's got to start at the top. I mean, leaders have to not 
I don't want to say let go because they, they need the control, Direct. but they need to be more comfortable with that. But they also need to help everyone else adapt because people, and this is well-documented in all the research, is that people are really, really struggling with how to adapt. They don't have those skills. And, you know, they, people, we throw out, not we, but a lot of people throw out terms like, uh, well, we need more resilience. Great. We do need resilience. You need people to bounce back. But so how do you help that? But it's not just teaching people the skill. It's like, okay, if you follow these steps, you become more resilient or we need people with grit. And then there's a whole debate, you know, whether can, can you teach people to be more gritty and persevere, or is that done through creating a culture that encourages that? So you, you can teach people the skill, which is what it seems a lot of leaders and managers want to do. It's like, can you come in and teach our people to be more gritty? Can you teach and our people? Our people more, right? Yeah, re- resilient. Can you, can you teach our people to be more motivated? You know, let, let's do a an inspirational, we'll bring in a motivational speaker and we're going to we're gonna have everybody put a smiley face that day and therefore they will be more hopeful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. It, none of that's going to sustain itself if you don't create an environment where people feel that the company supports them, that there's not a safe space. What's the emotional health of that group? Do they feel that if they make a mistake, are they going to be fired? I'm not saying that we have to have a throw a big party. You made a mistake and hey, thanks for exposing that. But it does need to be celebrated in some point. What can we learn from mistakes that are made? If somebody repeatedly makes them, that's different. But you know, you can't have a it's like on Fridays is our creative day. Doesn't okay, what happens on the other four days of the week? Uh, you can't punish people for four days and Friday say, oh, you have permission to make a mistake today. Or you have, you know, today, any idea you have is a good one, but Monday through Thursday is bad. So companies have done silly, silly things. So ultimately for leaders is one is they need to become more adaptable. And I will give the benefit of doubt to, to many leaders that they're they're a little bit more open-minded about some things, not all, but some things. But the rest of the population isn't. And they're going to need to create a company culture, an environment that helps people grow. But they're also going to have to provide people to the skills and 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 the five abilities we talk about with adaptability is we I mentioned grit and resilience. So grit's perseverance and endurance. What makes that up? What what's the character of people? You have people that have low emotional stability. Uh, they're excitable. They're impulsive. They're reactive. Do they overreact to things? Do they or are they too complacent? Do they feel that this is just going to pass by and they don't need to do it? So you have to understand the makeup, the character, the personality of the people that are within there. That's the only way you can teach grit. I mean, so so there's people that are pers- that persevere. There's people that are resilient. But we also look at things like mental flexibility, and that's the ability to juggle two opposing thoughts in your head at the same time. So I often talk about you know watching CNN and Fox News and MSNBC. So simultaneously, you hear conflicting news, and we try to say one's right and one's wrong. Where if we take a step back and look at the entirety of it. You know, mm-hmm. how does this exist? What what are the systemic problems? 
Uh, we're trying to fix diversity and, and inclusion and, and inequities in the workplace. And on you know, a number of my podcasts recently, my own podcast recently, we've talked about inequities that we don't even, we think we're normal. When we talk about going back to normal, is this the normal we want that women get paid 80, 80 cents on the dollar for the same dollar that a man works? But a woman of color gets paid 54 cents. It's not the same as a man. Is that normal? Well, it was, it has been normal. It's been normal for decades. Mm-hmm. How do we continue that? How do we continue Change that? It. That's not normal. So we're looking at this new normal is, hey, if you do the same work, regardless of your color, your gender, your ethnicity, if you do the work, you get the same pay. How do we make that happen? And people are really struggling with that. That people say, well, I'm really open to changing my management style, but that also includes changing all the systems that are in place that supported your style or maybe the style that you created. And even if you did it unintentionally and you were unaware of it, now how do you do it? And then the excuse you hear is, well, we have to, it's difficult and we have, you know, we have to think about it. Well, yes, that's true but you also are going to have to move quickly and you're going to have to change how you communicate and you're going to have to bring different voices into there. And if you've been listening to the same old voices, you're going to not change anything. So it's challenging. There's no sense it's challenging. I would say from leaders, managers Mm -hmm. that are listening, transparency and authenticity is going to be real. I mean, you're going to have to say, I screwed up. Mm -hmm. We've, We've screwed up. I've said this multiple times, and I'm pretty harsh on HR, is that HR was supposed to be the, you know, the advocate. They were supposed to be responsible. They wanted to get a seat at the table. And then over the last few decades, they got seats at the table. They even got a voice at the table. They became chief human resource officers. They were in the executive suite. So why are we in 2021 still talking about all these inequities? You know, if you were in charge, how was this allowed to persist? And how, you know, there's, now there's, because people are open to it, there's a tremendous amount of studies that are coming out that are exposing how bad it really is, how bad bias is, mm-hmm. uh, and the inequities that continue to get supported. How did that happen under anybody's watch, but especially the people that are supposed to be guarding it? And you talked about it and it was, hey, we're make, slowly making progress. Well, the same, I've been in business long enough, the same discussion has been going on for decades. <laughs> We're not changing it quick enough. I liked what you talked about, the ability to listen to different voices and to hold the, ten- I call it to hold the tension, to be with the tension, not to close it. Because usually we act upon our automatic behaviors rather than bias and patterns. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of bl- going blind in the world and don't see the assumption that we are acting upon them. But the ability as leaders, as managers, to hold a space to enable different and various conflict voices and to be with it, to be in the uncertain, to be uncomfortable with the situation, but to hold the situation and be present with the uncertainty only from listening deeply to ourselves and others and enabling the space, a new solution can emerge. Otherwise, we're acting more of the same and we don't change at all. We listen to someone wanting to stop uh, talking and then we can say what we want to say, right? We don't really listen to what we want to say. And, you know, you talked about giving skills. I think as leaders, as humans, we ne- it needs to start within us to be able to hold the space. Because if I, as a leader, won't be able to hold the uncertainty and to be there, it will really be challenging for others to be there. We need one person to hold it and then 
people can feel comfortable. What do you think? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I think you captured that even better than maybe I did. I, you know, we were talking about being comfortable with uncertainty, but maybe it's being uncomfortable with being like being comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> is where we need to be. How do we do that? How do that, that also creates a sense of humility that we don't have all the answers. We're not always in control, but then that changes the perception because if you're a leader and go, listen, I'm not sure what's going to happen next and I'm not really, I'm not feeling in control, then do we have the confidence in that leader? So leaders tend to sometimes pump up, you know, their abilities and pump up their presence and act like they're in control. But I think people are starting to see through that. So there needs to be that humility, that transparency and, and authenticity, but you need to do that with empathy. And I know we're throwing out tons of buzzwords here. Part of that is, is having the empathy, which goes into, you know, leading and, and really putting yourself in the place. I will admit, I mean, I'm an older baby boomer. I've got a lot of, you know, years behind me. And I always thought that I was a pretty open person. Somebody said, are you anti-racist? I would probably say yes until this year. And then I realized that I was silent on a lot of things. I did not recognize the fear. Uh, and again, I'm talking mostly about a lot of things that go on in, in the U.S. And, and, you know, they may be global. But if you're a male, you know, if you're a person of color, especially a male person of color, and you're driving down the street and you get stopped, I mean, I know I get frustrated, you know, if I got pulled over, but I really never feared for my life. And, you know, I would reach just thinking of this, reaching for the glove department. I mean, it said, you have your registration and I look in my wallet and it's not there. So the first thing I do is reach for my glove department. If I was a black man, I might be shot. That's starting to really think. And I didn't think about the other day until I reached I was well, I didn't get stopped, but I reached for my glove department. I go, that's another instance. I just did it naturally. Mm-hmm. Yet other people might view that if I was of, of a different color or even of a different ethnicity or gender. You know, mm-hmm. how would I be treated differently if if I was a white female baby boomer than I do as a male baby boomer? Uh, so there's all these little things. And that takes, again, it took me a long time, decades for that I thought I was doing okay. And then it's all of a sudden it's like I was really blind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so again, always learning, but you have to be open minded enough to, to be able to accept that, humble enough to say you screwed up but still confident enough that you can go forward. You know, it's not the danger is, and I've asked some pretty powerful, not, I won't say powerful in, in their stature, but uh, committed, uh, vocal, mm-hmm. highly vocal people. And I've frankly said is, how do I not feel that I need to walk on eggshells? How do I need to feel that I'm going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time or have the right action or miss something? And it's not being insensitive but I just don't know. And, you know, they, they just shared that you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to have to be okay. So we have to be okay walking in eggshells. Yes. And I connect to what you're saying about being able to feel uncomfortable in the situation. I think we need to dare also from my experience to say it out loud. As you talked before, you said before, you know, look, I'm not sure where we're heading. I'm not sure. I don't know. I have all the answers. I'm with you right now. And let's figure it out together. I think being present, but you need to dare to put it out there. Because as you said, we're educated to show that we know all the answers, that we know we're figuring it all out. And so it's not a natural place for us to be there. I think this is the challenging part for us to start with ourselves. 
if I'm given a tip for leaders now, start with yourself. Dare to say, you talk your uncomfortability and give it, legitimize it for others. Because once you say it and put it out there, everybody says, okay. So you also put out your stress because you don't need to show that you ever figure out. And people can say, okay, I also don't really understand. Let's figure it out together. So I think this is at the end of the day, it's a crucial element for leaders nowadays. When we'll be able to embrace this state of mind and being, it will have a big impact on uh, our followers, our employees, and etc. So before we, we wrap up, I want to ask you, can you give our listeners one or two tips how they can embed it in their culture? How can they create a culture that enables uh, failures and mistakes and enable to people to flourish in order to be creative and for the organization to be innovative? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's two aspects of that. I'm going to go back to the the model that we use. We use called the ACE model. It's ACE. And it really talks about people, personal abilities that you have for change. And I'll come back to that in a second. We talk about character, understanding who are the people and who are the people that may be more comfortable with uncertainty or comfortable with being uncomfortable, who are the people that are going to struggle with that and then help them? What are the tools that they need? But then you need to create an environment because we're all building the, you know, we've all taken off to this new normal. We're in the plane. We're still building the plane and we have no idea how to land it. We're all in that together and everybody needs to understand that. And again, how do you get people comfortable to to be a passenger on that plane? We're all passengers on that plane, whether you want to be there or not. But how do we get more people to be to be comfortable? But when we go back, what can we do for individuals? We talk about the grit and resilience, but we also talk about that mental flexibility. We talk about an open mindset. How do you help people become to consider some of these things that we're talking about, these new ideas, to take that chance, to grit that opportunity? That creates a culture. You can't do that. It's not a skill that you can say, hey, if you go to if if you go to the training and you get a degree, you mm-hmm. get a degree in open-mindedness. Here's your here's your diploma that you're now open-minded if you're going to work in an environment that that penalizes you and punishes you for creating new ideas or doesn't allow that to be part of the flow. But one of the other skills that I relatively new on the horizon of people talking about it because we've heard about learn continuous learning, lifelong learning, you know, rather than just having a degree and then the next 40, 50 years, that's your career, mm-hmm. is unlearning. That unlearning is a skill. What do we need to unlearn? What, what are the... So some of us are good at it. I've I walked away from a career and frankly, you know, it's like you'll never forget any of it. Well, there's certain things I completely forgot uh, because they weren't relevant to me anymore. I didn't have to do that. And it's sort of like defragging a hard drive, you know, that or it's cleaning up your desk um, or the boxes, all the files you have. We collect everything. We file it. Some of it's well, we need to keep it for legal reasons. And then it just gets overwhelming. And then one day you just have to go in and one is get rid of the, the duplicates get rid of the files that you don't use, get rid of the things that are temporary, get rid of all the notes, keep what, you know, either for emotional reasons or for real, for relevant reasons, what are the facts? What's the information? What are the books? What What is the knowledge that you need to keep? What do you need to hold on your hard drive or in our human hard drive, our brains? Uh, what do we need to do to keep and make room to learn the new things because we all we all have a limited capacity. There are so many things I want to learn, but if I don't put something aside, I there's just no more room for it. And then that becomes what happens when you learn something new 
and you don't have that mental flexibility. The mental flexibility is this is completely different than I was taught in school. This is completely than I was taught in my former job. How do I make sense of that? Do I just throw out the old way? Do I just accept carte blanche the new way? Or are there parts of both that I can meld and even create something better? So it all starts to go together, but you know, which is the skill that you teach first? Most people are leaning toward grit and resilience, and I think that's important. There's no question about it. But if you're not open to new ideas, then you're going to fail. If you're not willing to unlearn some of the things you did in the past, that's going to fail. Those are the individual skills. But from a culture side, businesses really need to create a, a safe space. And whether that's through systems, whether that's through leadership, whether that's, you know, some people, they don't feel that the company provides them the support they need, but the team they work with does. That's a good place to start, but then it may not be equally distributed. You could have marketing that feels they're they're in a good place and operations feel or finance feels that they're in a horrible place. That doesn't make your company run well. If there's a team or a department that does, is doing well, what are they doing that they can share with other departments or other locations, other facilities? It's not easy but it's not impossible. And I think that there's no cookie cutter approach to, to anything, but there's companies that are thriving and people that are growing and people that are inspired. So <laughs> to be open-minded and to learn from uh, other companies and uh, people right. that are thriving. Ira, thank you very much for your, your wisdom and uh, tips and knowledge. New normal, as you said, it's new, not new. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's new waves. Yeah, I, I talk, I said that it's a new normal, but it's actually new waves of normals. Um, we're we're going to have multiple normals. They're going to come in waves. Not everybody's going to experience everything at the same time. So, you know, I, I tend to talk about new, next waves of normals and uh, becoming comfortable, as we talked about, comforting, comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> so, I will before we wrap up, where can people find you? Yeah, as my Googleization, um, you know, theme and my Google, my, the other the, the other term that people call me is the Googleization guy. Uh-huh. Uh, you can Google me, Ira Wolf I, or Ira S. Wolf. Uh, my company website is Success Performance Solutions. My most current book is Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. And I will I'll just let anybody know that if you, um, it's available on Amazon and it's up on my website and, or you just search for that. First half of the book has nothing to do with recruiting. I originally wrote the book to be about change, about VUCA, about the world was going to look like. I even talk about autonomous vehicles and I'm talking about what an HVAC tech is going <laughs> to, what type of jobs are going to be available. And then the, the last half of the book is, is certainly how how companies are going to have to change the way that they recruit. But if you're just interested in change and not in HR, uh, you just want to know what the future is going to look like. Uh, the first half of the book is is all about that. So, so sounds great. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, thank you very much. Stay safe, everyone. This was Ira Wolf. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and to follow us on social media. Thank you for listening and till next time, take care and bye-bye.